All right, good evening, everybody. If you want to go ahead and find your places, and uh, I promise I'll get you out of here in time to continue your fellowship. All right, our text tonight, Romans chapter 13, verses 7 through 10. Romans 13, 7 through 10. And our title is A Debt of Love. If you can follow along in your Bible, I would always encourage you to do that uh, or on your iPad or phone or whatever you've got. So let's go ahead first. And, um, and we, we covered verse 7 last week, but I'm going to use it again because I'm going to show you why in, in a little bit. Paul says, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, Respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not covet, and any other commandment are all summed up in this word or this statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So we're going to divide tonight's lesson up into two parts. And uh, the first part is kind of practical, and the second part is a little more theological. But uh, I think you'll see why we have to divide them here um, as we go through. Okay, so the first part we have to look at is there's a question that gets brought up uh, in verse 8 that we have to answer. Okay, verse 8 is a verse that's often quoted uh, and, and there's a question there that we have to answer. So let's go back and look specifically at verse 8 and the first uh, four words where Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Okay? Owe no one anything. Now, this raises a very practical question. Should Christians borrow money? Now, in fact, not just borrow money, but the, the verse actually says, owe no one what? Anything. Actually raises the question, can you borrow anything? Should you borrow a rake? Should you borrow a cup of sugar? Should you borrow somebody's car while yours is in the shop? Because it says, owe no one anything. Now, the reason I bring this up is because some Christians and some Christian ministries have taken this verse as a mandate or an absolute prohibition against borrowing money. And basically they teach that Christians should never borrow money. I've got an example up there that I just did on the, I found on the web. It's a, a BethelMinistries.com. And they said this, I'll just read it. 95% of all counsel that should be given regarding finances today could be condensed into one sentence. Owe no one anything. And if you go read further, you can tell that they are teaching that Christians just should not borrow money. That we, they, they see that as an as a, as a absolute prohibition or a, a mandate. Now, the question is, it sounds very simple, doesn't it? Oh, no one anything. But is that what it means? Now, before I answer that question, let me say this. There is no doubt that the Bible is full of of verses that warn us about the dangers of borrowing money. Um, in fact, Romans, if, if you go to any financial, Christian financial ministry or website or anything like that, there's going to be two verses you're going to hear right off the bat. <laughs> Number one is Romans 13, 8, owe no one anything. 
The other one is that one right there, Proverbs 22, 7. Uh, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the lender's slave. But that's not the only uh, verse. There's others. For example, in Deuteronomy 28, 43 to 45, God is, is talking about the curses that he's going to bring on the nation of Israel because they've disobeyed him. And he says this, he, the, talking about the sojourner or, or, or somebody that's just passing through your land, shall lend to you, but you will not lend to him. He shall be the head and you will be the tail. So all these curses shall come on you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you would not obey the Lord. So in this one, part of the curse that God is bringing on Israel is they will always have to borrow and they'll never be able to uh, lend. On the flip side of that, uh, look at Deuteronomy 28, 12. It says, The Lord will open for you his good storehouse and you shall lend to many nations and you shall not borrow. So there's, listen, there is no doubt, and let's just get this very clear up front, there is no doubt that it's better to be the lender than the borrower, right? I mean, I mean that's, just, that's just common sense. There's no doubt uh, about that. There's an old adage, it's not in the Bible, but it says, neither a borrower nor a lender be. But if you've got to be one of them, you want to be the lender, not the, not the borrower, right? So the Bible warns us about those dangers, but those, those scriptures don't answer our question. Our question is, does the Bible teach that borrowing is wrong? Is that what Romans 13, 8 is teaching when it says, oh, no, man, anything? And the answer to that is no. That's not at all what it's teaching. And in fact, it's not even close to what it's teaching. Now, I'm going to give you some reasons why that is not what it's teaching. And I'll give you several reasons. But I want to remind you again that Again, I have no agenda other than one, right? I'm not here to make you do something or stop you from doing something else. I'm just here to say this is what the Bible says. And what you do with that, that that's completely up to you and between you and him. But what I'm here to tell you is no, this does not uh, serve as an absolute prohibition against borrowing. So let me give you a few reasons. First of all, when it says, owe no one anything, this is certainly not an absolute prohibition. This is certainly not telling us, don't borrow, not, not just borrow money, but don't borrow a rake or a cup of sugar or a car or a chainsaw or, or whatever. It's certainly not telling us that. Now, how do I know that? Well, first of all, if you take that, and, and let me just be clear here, if you take that command absolutely, if you go to that command and you say, see here, this says you shouldn't borrow and you say, that means you shouldn't borrow money. Well, that means you don't borrow anything. Everybody with me? It's like I said last week with the vaccine. You, you can't say, well, I'm not going to take the vaccine because that's immoral because it was developed with fetal cell lines and then go take a Tylenol. You, you can't have your cake and eat it too. If that's what you really believe, then, then apply that across the board. So if you really believe that that verse means you can't, owe no man anything means you can't borrow then you're, you're taking that to mean you can't borrow anything. Now, that's absolutely not true because Jesus borrowed all the time. Jesus borrowed a boat, did he not? Jesus borrowed baskets of food. He borrowed a donkey. He borrowed an upper room. He borrowed a tomb. Right? I mean, Jesus borrowed stuff all the time. So we can't, we know it doesn't mean, first of all, that this is some kind of absolute that you should not borrow any type of thing at all. Now, the other reason we know this is not an absolute prohibition is that if you were to take it that way, 
it would actually contradict other texts in the Bible. For example, Psalms 37, 26, the godly always give generous loans to others and their children are a blessing. Psalm 112.5, it is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. Now look at that first one. The godly, this means righteous men, right? Godly men always give generous loans to others. Now here's the problem. If borrowing is a sin or if borrowing is wrong, then being a lender to someone would be complicit in their sin, would it not? And that would certainly not make you a godly man or a godly woman. Um, How about Matthew 5.42? These are the words of our Savior. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would what? Borrow from you. Once again, Jesus said if somebody wants to borrow from you, don't refuse them. If borrowing in itself was an absolute prohibition, some type of of sin or wrong, Jesus surely wouldn't be encouraging us to be complicit in that. Now, here's the second reason. I don't believe that this is an absolute prohibition against borrowing. The context of the verse doesn't teach the prohibition of borrowing at all. Now, listen, if, if you've heard me teach over the years, you'll hear me say this from time to time. You cannot take a verse, one verse, out of the passage and apply it. You have to look and see what does it mean in the passage. Everybody with me? If, if, you, if you take a verse out of context, you can just about make the Bible mean anything you want it to. You always have to look at it in context. So let's go back and read these verses. Paul says, pay to all what is owed to them. Now, the word pay is inferred here. But this is what he's saying. Pay taxes to whom taxes are owed. Pay revenue to whom revenue is owed. Pay respect to whom respect is owed. And pay honor to whom honor is owed. Now let me show you something about those things. None of those things do you pay and never have to pay again, right? Is anybody done with their taxes if you paid them this year? Y'all done? When do they come up again? Next year. And then what do you do? You pay them, and then what do they do? They come up next year. What Paul is saying here is when your taxes come due, what? Pay them. Same thing with with honor. Do you honor one person and you never have to honor anybody ever again? No. He says when the occasion arises to honor someone, pay it. If the occasion arises to respect someone, then you pay that. Then he goes on to say, oh, no one, anything. The key word here really isn't owed. The key word here is pay. What Paul is saying here very simply is when you have a debt, pay it. That's all he's saying. When your taxes come due, pay them. When when, when fines or, or other types of revenues come due, pay them. When the occasion arises to honor or respect someone, pay it. Then he goes on to say, oh, no one anything. So what he's saying when he says, oh, no one anything, is don't leave any debt outstanding. Pay it when that thing comes due. So when your taxes or your fines are due, pay them. Each time the bill comes due, pay it in full and be done with it so you don't owe any man anything. Okay, That's what the verse is is teaching. Now, another thing that we have to kind of balance our modern times against history. And I want to talk a little bit about exploitation versus strategic. When you go look at the biblical warnings against borrowing, 
they almost always involve the exploitation of the poor by the rich, okay? We live in a time today, and again, Psalms 22, 7 is, 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 is just stating this, right? The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the lender's slave. You see, throughout history, when there wasn't these defined banking systems and things like that, most of the time you had the rich lending to the poor and, ex- and charging, in many times, exorbitant interest rates. They're extorting the people. And this has led to slave labor. You know, there's a, a, a parable that Jesus tells about the man who owes a, his master money and he can't pay. And what does he say? Sell him. Sell him, sell his house, sell his kids, sell his car, sell his donkey, sell his children, and pay his debt. That's the kind of thing that rich people did to, to poor people. It led to poor houses. Go back into the, the 1700s and 1800s in England and the poor houses where people had to go and work and pay off their debt. By the way, this is not over, Right? And and this is still going on in many countries today. It still goes on in some states. I was doing a little bit of research on this payday loans company. And I've never, thank God, never had to do a payday loan. But did you know that when you do a two-week payday loan, the interest you pay is just under 400%. Now, most states recognize, uh, they kind of balance it. And I I don't know if Florida's one. But what states do is they realize sometimes people just get in trouble. And they just need that quick loan from somewhere. And so they said, okay, we're going to let you do this, but we're going to cap it at $500. So the most somebody like most money they can loan is like $500. So you don't, you know, the amount of interest you're paying monetarily doesn't seem like a lot. But when you compare it to what you're borrowing, it's almost 400%. Now, listen, if there was no laws prohibiting that, these guys would do anything they want to do, Right. So this is, there's still a propensity out there for the rich to oppress the poor. Now, the fact that these situations happen is one of the reasons that the Bible warns us about becoming that type of borrower, about becoming a person who has made so many bad decisions and so many mistakes that you have to depend on other people just to put meals on the table or clothes on your, on your kids' back. It's, it's warning us about getting into that type of situation. Now, at the same time, I think there is a type of borrowing that's completely different. It's not a type of borrowing. You're not borrowing out of distress. You're, you're not borrowing out of desperation. You're not borrowing out of foolishness above your means. But you're doing it from a position of strategic planning. And I, and I think that's perfectly fine. I don't see anywhere in the Bible that it says that you cannot do that. In fact, the opposite is true. The Bible, if you actually go look at the scriptures in the Bible, the Bible actually condones and regulates some lending and borrowing. Let me give you a couple of examples. Matthew 25, 27. Jesus tells the parable, you remember about the master of the house leaves uh, one of his servants like five talents and one of his servants two talents and, and, and the one that was really bad and he knew he was bad, he gave him one. And the five turned it into ten, the two turned it into five, and the one, what did he do? He buried it in the ground, right? And then Jesus, when the man comes back, Jesus says, he said this, he said, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. Now let me tell you, Jesus is not at all focused on the banking system, right? That's not his point, whether it's legitimate. But here's the point, that's how bankers make money, right? Right? 
they lend money at interest and then return you interest on your accounts. There's a system in place. I, I can't believe Jesus would illustrate a parable with a system that he thought was somehow immoral or unlawful. Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. If among you one of your brothers should become poor, okay, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need. So the Bible is saying here, be generous. When it comes time and there's somebody that needs to borrow, be generous. Okay? Lend him sufficient for his need. Exodus twenty-two fourteen. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it's injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. So the Bible understands people are going to borrow things. Sometimes when you borrow things, you lose it or it gets damaged or it dies. This is what you do in that case. You make full restitution. Deuteronomy 24.10, when you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. I, I like this. The Bible's saying you're gonna, you're, sometimes you're going to loan people money, but that doesn't give you the right to go marching onto their house and, 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 just, and, and just violate their domain in order to get payment. That doesn't, make, that, you, that doesn't give you ownership of them. That doesn't make them your slaves. Everybody see what it's doing here? So the Bible clearly understands that lending and borrowing is going to happen in the world. And so what it wants to do is saying, okay, if this is going to happen, let's do it the right way. Luke 6.35, once again, this is Jesus, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Jesus always steps up the bar, doesn't he? He doesn't say don't lend. He says, lend and don't expect anything in return. So what we see in the Bible is this. It's okay to lend. What's not okay is to do it in a predatory or profiteering manner. Everybody with me? In the same way, it's okay to borrow. But don't ever borrow in a foolish or desperate manner. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're desperate and you have to pay exorbitant interest rates or put you into the debt where you have to do things you don't want to do. And don't, don't do foolish borrowing. Don't borrow above your means what you're not able to pay back. That's what Paul's saying. When it comes, when it comes due, be able to pay it. Don't owe any man anything. At the end of the day, borrowing is a lot, is one of those subjects in the Bible we talked about this. Money is not inherently sinful, is it? There's no problem with having money. Alcohol, taking a sip of alcohol is not inherently sinful. Jesus said it's not what goes into the man that, that, that defiles him, it's what comes out of his heart. Anger, we saw a few weeks ago, anger is not inherently sinful. But the Bible warns us about the dangers of all those things, doesn't it? The same is true with borrowing. It's not inherently wrong. It's not inherently sinful. But the Bible understands that when you borrow money, you open a door. You open a door. You better be able to pay that debt back and owe no man anything. Because if you don't, you're going to find yourself in uh, trouble. Okay, so we needed to deal with that. Let's move on to uh, part two. Let's go back to Romans 13.8. Paul says, owe no one anything... Okay, and what, we, what, what he means by that, when the debt comes due, pay it. Except, and this is where he ties the two things together, except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The NIV uh, translates it this way. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt 
to love one another. For whoever loves another, for, excuse me, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. God's words translation says this, pay your debts as they come due. However, one debt you can never finish paying is the debt of love that you owe each other. Now, so what Paul is saying is you've got these debts. You've got taxes. You owe people honor and revenue and respect. Pay those things when they come due. But he said there's one debt that you can never pay up. There's one debt that you can never satisfy. It is an unlimited debt which we can never be done with. And that debt is to love one another. Now, this raises some really interesting questions to me. Because notice it refers to love as a debt, right? Now, we all know what a debt is, right? Doesn't be, when I'm in debt to you, what does that automatically mean? You, you've done something for me, right? You've loaned me something. You've given me something. You've gone out of your way to do something. But if I'm in debt to you, that means you've done something for me. So Paul is saying, I owe a debt of love to everybody here, and you owe a debt of love to everybody here. But that's kind of weird, right? Because a lot of you ain't never given me nothing. Some of you, I don't even know. We've never really met. So how in the world can I be in debt to you? That's, that's a really odd way to be a debtor, right? To, to be in debt to someone that's never done anything for you. So that's one question that I don't understand. The other thing that's weird about this statement is that aren't we taught that our love should be free? That it be unconditional? That I should even love people that abuse me? That I should love people that are my enemies? People that despitefully, right? So I thought love was supposed to be free like that. But if it's a debt, that, that doesn't quite match up with that. It, it, in fact, it almost seems to contradict the very nature of love. And, and I don't know about you, but even thinking of love as a debt seems, seems wrong somehow. But that's exactly what Paul says. Now here, this is something we all should know. This is Christianity 101, right? The debt of love that we owe to others is not because others have done something for us. The debt of love I owe to others is because Christ loved me first. 1 John 4, 19, we love, why? Because he first loved me. I love you because he loved me, right? Okay, but there's another problem. Shouldn't that make us debtors to him? Right? If he loved me, if he died for me, if he gave himself for me, if he sacrificed for me, if he forgave me, shouldn't I be in debt to him? But that's not what Paul says. Paul doesn't say you owe a debt of love to Jesus. He says you owe a debt of love to each other. So again, that's a very odd thing. Now, I want you to listen very closely. Because what, what, when you put all this together, what it explains is not only why his love to us is truly free. It also explains why our love to others is also truly free. Okay, so here's the first thing. Jesus has loved us, has he not? He's forgiven us. He died for us. He, he's, he's, he's sacrificed everything for us. But one thing we need to understand right off the bat is that he can never be paid back. Are you with me? You cannot pay him back. That debt that we owe him is infinite. 
Okay? It, it is absolutely infinite. You can never pay it. In fact, if you try to pay it by doing good works, which is what we would try to do, right? The very fact that you can do good works is empowered by the Spirit of God in you. He's actually allowing you to do that. So every time you do a good work, you're just in debt to Him more because He's the one that's making the whole thing possible. So even when you try to pay Him back, you just get deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. You don't get any closer. So, so don't even try to pay Him back. Forget that. That can never happen. But in fact, here's the second thing. You shouldn't even dare to try to pay Him back. Not that you just can't do it. You shouldn't dare to do it. Why? Because uh, Romans eleven four says, if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would be no longer grace. When you start trying to earn it, when you start trying to pay him back, then all of a sudden, grace is no longer grace. You shouldn't even try. See, this is what makes Christ's love for us truly free, right? Because he's, he's loving us knowing that there's no way we'll ever pay him back. In fact, he doesn't even want us to pay him back because it's all grace. So his love for us is completely free. At the same time, our love for others flows out from what Christ has done to us, right? God has put his spirit in us. God united us with Christ. We're born again. We're a new creation. We've got a new heart. All of this is coming from above. And then our love flows out to others. What, why am I loving you? Because he loved me. That makes my love for you free. You don't owe me anything. Nothing. I'm just giving it to you because he gave it to me. So his love for me is free because I can't pay him back and shouldn't pay him back. And my love for you is free because of what he did for me. I'm not doing it because you, because you owe me anything. Matthew 10, 8, Jesus sends out the disciples. What does he say? Freely you have received, freely give it. You received it without paying anything. Now you go give it without paying anything. 1 John 4, 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought. That word, we ought, is the Greek word ophelamon, which means we owe. If God loved us, then we owe. We are debtors to love one another. Now let's go back to our scripture, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Let's read the whole thing. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment. Now, let's, let's just take that statement right there and see what he's saying. He's saying if you open the Bible and you start hunting for commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't, uh, don't covet, and any other commandment you can find, any other commandment you can find are all summed up in this word or this statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now this isn't new. Uh, Jesus and both Paul uh, say this throughout the Gospels in the New Testament. For example, in Galatians 5.14, Paul says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Matthew 7.12, Jesus said, whatever you wish others would do to you, do to them. This is the whole law and the prophets. It's all wrapped up in, in that. There's a statement that I say, love God, love your neighbor. The rest of the Bible is just explanation. Just telling you how to do it. But that, those two things are what it's all about. Now, Jesus and Paul both say that love is the fulfillment of the law. Okay? 
Now, the question is, what do they mean by that? Well, let's go back to Romans 8. One of my favorite verses says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Now, let's go back, stop right there, and let's go back to the Old Testament. So God wants us to love one another, right? That's, he, he, Jesus said this is what it's all about. Love God and love your, love your neighbor. So God wants us to love one another, so he gives us a bunch of directions. You can call them rules, you can call them laws, you can call them regulations. But he says, this is how you do it, right? When you borrow from one another, this is how you do it. Everybody with me? When you, when you do this, this is how you do it. He, and he gives us all these laws. Don't murder one another. Don't, don't commit adultery with one another's spouses. Don't, uh, you know, obey the Sabbath and keep it holy. He gives us all these, all these laws and rules and regulations. And guess what we do? Anybody? We break every last one of them. Why? Because we are fallen, sinful people. We, we can't keep them. We, we kick. Man, when somebody says, when they tell us to do something, our first inclination is nobody tells me what to do. And so sometimes we, and, and even the best of us, let's be honest, even the best of us are rule breakers at heart. We just put on nice faces and facades. We look good. But in our heart, we're rule breakers just like everybody else. So God, has, he, he creates this law to show us and teach us how to love one another and live with one another, and we can't do it. We're terrible at it. Okay? Now watch what it says. So God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that, or for the purpose that, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us Christians who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that when you walk according to the Spirit, you fulfill the law. What he means is you love God and you love your neighbor, and this is all the law was ever trying to accomplish. That, that's, he, that's all he means. That's why love is the fulfillment of the law. That was all it was ever trying to accomplish is to get us to love one another. I was talking to somebody earlier about, as Christians, sometimes we come into situations and, and one Christian would say, well, you should do this. And another Christian would say, you should do this. What we, sometimes we have to just go into a situation and we just have to do what we know is right in our heart. Stop looking for rules and regulations that tell me how to do it. Sometimes it's just between you and God. God, what do I need to do to love this person and love you in this situation? Let's look at verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this statement. You shall love your neighbor, and I want to look at those two words, as yourself. As yourself. That is a huge statement. This, so here's what Jesus said. The whole, new, the whole Old Testament is telling us how to love our neighbor, right? All these rules. Jesus says, here's how you do it. I'm going to give you two words. <laughs> love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. That's it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you do it. Now, what does that mean? How many of you have ever heard that statement? You can't love other people until you love yourself. That's a, that's a famous... I, I, I googled it to get an image and it was credited to Demi somebody. Now, I don't know who she is, but let me, give y'all a, let me give you a piece of advice, right? When you see a statement credited to somebody that's not a Christian, it's probably wrong. That's a good rule of thumb, right? 
I don't care how good it sounds. I don't care how wise it sounds. If somebody that's not a Christian says it, you can pretty much guarantee that it's not right. And that statement right there isn't even close to being right. Now, here's, here's why. Whenever you hear anybody say, you need to love yourself, what they almost always mean by that is you need to have high self-esteem. That's what they always mean by that. You, you need to just accept yourself for who you are, all your sins, all your warts, all your baggage, all your, all your weirdness. Just, just accept it and just love yourself for, for who you are. So basically when they say that, that, they mean you need to have high self-esteem, right? Self-love means I have high self-esteem. Self-hate or self-loathing means I have low self-esteem. Now, folks, here's the problem. If, that, if you really believe that's true, if that's true, that in order to love other people, you have to love yourself, then the very purpose of things like counseling and education and parenting and preaching would be to get, other, get people to love themselves first so that then they can turn around and love one another. By the way, it's exactly what's going on in our education system. Right? They think, well, if you can just love yourself, you can love other people. That's, that, I don't know where they get that from. But that's, that's, if, if that's your worldview, that's what you think, then you're, the, the whole purpose of counseling and parenting and education and preaching should be to get people to love themselves. Folks, listen, that completely disregards Scripture in at least two ways. Number one, the Bible makes an assumption that everybody loves themselves. You'll never find in Scripture anywhere where the Bible is imploring us or commanding us to love yourself. It just assumes you already do it. Doesn't it? It just assumes that, that everybody loves themselves. The second problem is, I know what Paul means when he says, love yourself, and it has nothing to do with self-esteem. In fact, he gives us his definition in Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. Paul says this, in the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one, now there's the key, right? Loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. But what is Paul's definition of loving yourself? You nourish it and you cherish it. You nourish it, you feed it, you give it uh, food and drink, you take care of its needs and you cherish it, you protect it from pain, from suffering, from, from death. That's his definition. It has nothing to do with self-esteem. Now, here's, maybe we could put it this way if you wanted. Uh, self-love is the commitment to fulfill our needs and do what will make us happy. And pretty much everybody on the planet just falls right into that by, by nature. Now, I mean, think about it. Everybody gets hungry, right? And when you get hungry, you'll do just about whatever it takes to get something to eat. You get thirsty. The other night I was watching a show where some guys got stranded in the desert and they ran out of water and they started drinking their own bodily fluids. And you think, well, I'd never do that. Well, put yourself in their situation and see what you would do. That's self-love. You do whatever it takes to nourish and cherish it. Everybody wants to avoid pain and death. Now, most people, when I teach this right here, they're always... Um, bring this next question up. So let me just say this. By that definition, if that's your definition of self-love, then, like I said, everybody loves themselves. But normally when I say that, people always bring up, well, what about, for example, masochists? What about people who commit suicide? What about them? 
Well, let me tell you, those aren't exceptions at all. The masochist hurts himself, right? But somehow finds pleasure in it. I was watching uh, something one night about a teenage girl who was a cutter. She cuts herself. Then they ask her, why do you do it? Because she said, I'd rather have that. This pain is not near as bad as that pain. This makes me forget about that. So as weird as it sounds, cutting herself made her feel better. She's nourishing and cherishing her own body by cutting herself. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Think about a person who commits suicide. What are they doing? That pain is so bad. That pain is so bad that in order to get rid of that pain, this is what I have to do. But that's what they're doing. Is that I, I don't want that pain. I don't want to have to deal with that anymore. So I'm taking, the only way I'm going to find peace, the only way I'm going to find any happiness, the only way I'm, is, is, is to get rid of that, and this is my only solution. But even in those situations, as, as, as warped as it can be, that's a, that's a form of self-love. You see, everybody is seeking peace. Everybody's seeking some type of pleasure, happiness, however they define it. And that's what it means to have self-love, according to Paul. Now, Paul assumes everybody has it. So he never, in the New Testament, commands it. But he also, by the way, never condemns it. He never condemns it. In fact, he does something more radical. He doesn't say, stop loving yourself. He says, here's what I want you to do. In the same way you love yourself, go love your neighbor in the same way. In the same way that you seek your own peace and your own happiness and and you cherish your own body and you nourish your own body, in the same way, go do that for your neighbor. Now, folks, listen, that is a, think about that, what he's saying. That as yourself, that is our measurement of how we love. If we're fulfilling his command, that's, am I loving my neighbor in the same way that I love myself? That's the measure. That's how we measure um, whether or not we are loving as Jesus commands us to do. Now, the fact is most of us fail miserably at that every single day. But that is the radical type of behavior that God has called us to. One more thing, and then I'm going to close. Jesus and both Paul, uh, Jesus and both Paul say, "Love your neighbor as you love as you love yourself." But Jesus makes one little slight uh, command, and I won't say a change; we'll just say a supplement. Jesus says in John thirteen thirty four, "Don't not only love as you love yourself, but love as I have loved you." Now, this is not a contradiction; it's actually a clarification. You see, I might go out to someone and say, well, you know, I like to be well-fed and, and I like to have, you know, nice clothes. And so I'm going to go buy somebody a meal and I'm going to give them some clothes. Okay, I've loved them the way I love myself. And you could stop right there. But Jesus said, no, 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 you got to go a little further than that. I want you to love them the way I loved you. Now, here's the thing. Jesus' statement is showing us that our ultimate goal in our love is not just to clothe them. It's not just to feed them. It's not just to do those type of things, but to bring us to this ultimate good. What is the one thing they need that's going to give them true peace and true joy and true happiness and true pleasure forevermore? The answer to that is God. 
You see, 1 Peter 3.18, listen to what it says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might, what? Bring us to God. The whole point and purpose of us loving our neighbor is not just to supply their needs and say, well, I, I love them as I love myself. No, it's to bring them to God. That's the ending purpose. So our love for others should always have that as our goal. In fact, if we say we're loving them, but yet we're not doing anything to bring them to that ultimate good, then I would dare say that we're failing at what Christ has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, uh, as always, we love you. We thank you for your word. What an incredible verse uh, and passage this is. I know uh, even as I stand here tonight and, and I teach this and as I studied it this past week, Lord, I know how I fail uh, to not only love others as I love myself, but I certainly fail to love them as, as you loved us. And so, Father, I just pray and ask tonight, not only in my, my life, but the, the lives of others here, as we hear your word, that the Holy Spirit will just somehow imprint this upon our hearts, imprint it upon our minds, imprint it upon our souls, and make this part of our spiritual DNA. I've said it often, Lord, we're not called to be normal. We're called to a radical lifestyle. And so this is part of it here tonight, to God just loving people in a radical way that the world does not understand. It's not easy. Um, it, it, I know that. I know it's not easy in my life. It's not easy for any of us. But, it, it, uh, Father, it's what you've asked us to do. So empower us to do it through the Holy Spirit. Help us not to walk according to rules and regulations and check boxes off a list and say, I've done that. But help us to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, fulfilling the requirements of the law by loving one another. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all you do. We thank you for uh, uh, just some of the, the, the testimonies that we've been hearing from our Sunday night service and, and the prayer that we had. Thank you, Lord, for showing up and doing some amazing things uh, that evening. I just want to stand and give you all the praise and, and glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen.